0: and welcome to another episode of Two Bearded Losers. I am Eric from Hey Internet, Eric here. And as always, I'm with my personal favorite man behind the scenes, my buddy friends. How you doing, Frenzy?
1: Man behind the curtain. That's me.
0: Man behind the mask. How wizard, are you want to say it?
1: Wizard of nothing.
0: <laughs> the wizard of odd. My buddy friends. <laughs> wizard
1: of odd, that's good.
0: <laughs> How you doing, buddy?
1: Good. Really good now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All the technical shit aside. Finally. Um, today... Today is, another, is a frenzy's choice, and we're going to go back a couple months to our Space Invaders episode, and I had heard of that movie before. Obviously, as a kid, if you want to know more about it, go watch that or listen to that episode. But the director was a man named Patrick Reed Johnson, who I had never fucking heard of before. And before we watched, and I think we mentioned it in that episode, you have to remind me, before we, uh, we discussed Space Invaders, you sent me the trailer to tonight's film 52577, and it was about it was like this pretty much autobiographical film of, of the director Patrick Reed Johnson, and the basic plot is it's, it's super simple. He he went to see 2001: A Space Odyssey as a child, young child in the theaters. Again, we can't get rid we can't get away from Kubrick on this show no matter what, and it inspired him and his love for film and it's basically him through the years becoming this do-it-yourself director home movies that type of stuff and eventually he does go to hollywood meet steven spielberg and the point behind the title of the movie is he literally becomes the first person to ever see star wars or star wars a new hope however you nerds want to say it you know before all the all this, star, yeah, wars. It's star wars Wars. All the effects are done, all the, you know, basically before it's released to the public and it's him. That, that's basically, that's basically the movie. Um, first, I want to say, even though what I really like about this film is even though the dates about Star Wars, the, 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 the major thing that happens to him in Hollywood is him seeing Star Wars, it's not a Star Wars movie. No. And I, that's what I was expecting it to be about. You know, I didn't remember the trailer because we I watched it so many months ago before watching it. And I was expecting it to be just another nerd. Here's about Star Wars. loves Star Wars. So my expectations were kind of low because of that. I'm not going to lie. And when I knew it was a coming of age story and if done well, like you know, stand by me or something like that, I can be enthralled from beginning to end. And that's what I was with this because I like so many of the characters here. And the main character I love is Patrick. Uh, he's played by, I wrote it down, John Francis Daly, who I knew I saw this fucker before. He's like the main geek from Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. And uh, he is so likable in this. And he you really want to get behind him with the, you know, getting his movies made you know it's it's just a bunch of him and his friends making movies like and it takes place in you know starts out mainly in 75 or 76 something like that but he's making like sequels to jaws he's making jaws 2 you know what i mean with his friend he's making a sequel to the planet of the apes movies and that's what that that's what brings you or at least that's what brought me into getting into this stuff like i told you offline my daughter at least watch the first half hour, 45 minutes of it, because she loved that aspect of it. You know, she knew about Planet of the Apes, she knew about Jaws, and she thought it was cool that people were making their own sequels to these movies. I mean, I did that when I was a kid. I didn't act in anything, but I, I wrote my own sequels, you know, in story in story form and stuff. like. I did stupid shit, like the, a, a Child's play sequel. Yeah, <laughs> you or, told me about night, this. A Nightmare on Elm Street sequel where Freddy went to uh, <laughs> the Xavier Institute And fought the X-Men. Stupid bullshit like that.
1: That's a million dollar idea right there.
0: But that's what I liked. And I I liked following this kid's journey. And it was a good, like, never give up story. Because I liked how he never finished any of these movies. Years later. Like, I think one of his best friends says, you know, it's been like seven fucking years. And we haven't finished Jaws 2. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. And that's what I really dug was the kid well he's not a kid he's like fucking in his 30s when this came out and i want to ask you first did this come out in 2017 or did this come out in 2022 because i'm very confused about the information on that
1: yeah i told you i went down the rabbit hole so i know everything about this movie i was so blown away by this 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 is my favorite movie of this year it technically came out um on stream it came out wide last year around november right okay for the first time it's played Mm -hmm. it had its premiere unfinished in 2017 okay and a bunch of screenings since then but it's official came out last november if i had seen it last year it'd been my favorite movie of the year last year Mm -hmm. um but definitely so far i don't think i'm gonna see anything better than this for me Mm -hmm. not anything that hits home as hard as this but the insane thing is They filmed it in 2004, okay? So, John Francis Francis Daly or whatever, he was literally 20. So, that's why he looks like he is 17. Mm -hmm. Um, 75% of it in 2004. And then, two years later, they started doing additional shots. And then, it just sat around for 10 years because the director wanted to wait until they got the finances for all the songs. That's it. Oh, That's literally, no. he had to wait a decade to get people to pay for the music he wanted.
0: Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, the the time period it comes out. This has a great fucking 70s soundtrack, 60s and 70s soundtrack. And that makes sense because if you think about it, how many times do TV shows not come to Blu-ray or DVD? Because it's like the Wonder Years has taken fucking forever to come to home because of the fucking soundtrack. Yeah. You know, situations like that that makes a lot of sense but i was just so confused because imdb says both 2017 and then 2022 but i'm glad this guy finally had it all finished because this really is a good and again i love the characters first off i love his family especially his mom she's returning to two bearded losers colleen camp she was uh the maid in clue Yep. and what I love about her is she is she's going through her own personal troubles, you know, the divorce, the she, you know, because that you know her husband was an alcoholic, and it seemed like she was the only one supporting Patrick, you know what I mean? And she gives a really good performance, trying to be the single mother, trying to raise four kids. I think in the late seventies, you know what I mean? That's really fucking hard to do, and uh, her performance is. It's powerful, but low key, if that makes sense. Yeah. And she's got a great chemistry with John Francis Daly. And that's what I think sealed the deal for me. Because I, at first, I thought it was going to be this hokey. Oh, you know, mama just loves you. has no faith in you type of thing. But she's just telling him what he wants to hear. No, she really wants this to work out for him. And one of my favorite scenes is when she calls um i don't know his name but austin pendleton the guy from short circuit yeah and she calls to get a hold of him because he's like the, the editor of like starlog magazine or one of them nerdy sci-fi magazines
1: oh he's a, it's a cinematographer uh director of photography magazine okay that's, that's how he knows all of the in, the insider people
0: okay and that is one of my favorite scenes because she finally wants to help her son do something with his life you know what i mean like she didn't want him just to be, have like some mediocre bum job. She wanted him to at least take that chance. And I don't know, they're from Illinois, some really podunk middle of the cornfield type
1: town, yeah.
0: you know, and boom, he's going to Los Angeles, going to Hollywood. And I really love that scene because, you know, she didn't want to do it because she was worried about him. She's afraid all this stuff, but she still wanted him to take that chance. And it was cool for her to take that chance as well. Letting her, her baby, go out into the big bad world you know what i mean and that was like i said it was it's a very sweet scene and again it relies on the chemistry between those two actors like john francis he's great with all the family like i love his his the scenes with him and his little brother trying to you know act out the movies but the scenes between him and his mom are are the best
1: yeah it's she's um she's it's realistic it's not theatrical her performance she's like a real genuine mother which is kind of rare because usually these roles are, um, you know, not as extravagant or, you know, uh, for people coming into films like this, there's not a lot to that character. She's barely in this really. So they, they want to do it up to kind of like, you know, get their face out there, but Mm -hmm. she's a, you know, classic actress. She's been in a thousand things. She's like, she doesn't, she's just doing the dumpy mom, you know, like, yeah. Um, and that connection's fantastic, but the weird thing is it wasn't supposed to be her. It was supposed to be um, uh, Princess Leia. Um, Carrie Fisher. It was supposed to be Carrie Fisher, who yeah. signed on and everything, and then it was like drugs or something. She had a falling yeah. out, so um, yeah. that was going to be the connection to Star Wars. And... Well,
0: they wouldn't have been able to finish it either because she died. Oh, I mean, yeah. They, well, it...
1: they got most of her stuff. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. The weird that's that's one of the charming things about this movie is that I've got just so much to say, but you can just tell the things that were pickup shots that they did years later, all of that stuff, but it still works. It's Mm -hmm. relentless in its pace and the editing and special effects. Like the little touches in this movie are that a normal if anyone else had made this they mm-hmm. wouldn't give two shits about the the little details like he did, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to watch this again because there's so much going on in every goddamn frame. Yes, that connects to the 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 bigger story, mm-hmm. and um, it's just it's just incredibly fascinating. Like you know, this is all true, right?
0: I knew they said it was. was, I read that it was semi-autobiographical. I don't know what was changed, but if if the the director is directing his own fucking life story, I figured eighty percent, eighty five.
1: No, it's true. It's way more than that. It's like it's like ninety five percent, one hundred percent true. And then just Mm -hmm. the little things he had to change were like relationship stuff. Right. What friend did what back Mm -hmm. in the town. But the most interesting part to me. Um, aside from the him making the films as a kid, is when he goes to Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. His mom called. the In the magazines, they used to list. They had phone numbers for the offices of mm-hmm. magazines, so you could just call okay. them. So just, she weird. just called him, yeah. and um, the editor, I forget his name in real life, but this all really happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the director said that he thinks the he fell in love with his mom over the phone. He He never admitted oh. it, and they never met in real life after like 30 years but um, he fell in love with her voice and her, uh, in the movie, he's he just talks about how fire. Yeah. he's just charmed and he yeah. said, your mom's got balls of steel. She wouldn't stop calling him <laughs> and um, no, what was I talking Oh yeah, well the whole Hollywood angle, mm-hmm. That that's the part of the movie where it's one, every single thing that happens in that section of the film is 100% actually happened which mm-hmm. is crazy to me and the and the more that I read into this, the extraordinary, like, length that he went to to get it exactly, like, when he went to Hollywood and he meets with this, the editor of the magazine, the guy tells him, I'm going to get, I'm going to let you, you're going to meet Douglas Trumbull, okay, mm-hmm. who's very famous special effects artist. Okay. And this all, it's so weird how all of this connects to the Two Beard Losers world, right? You got... You think it's just—it's not just me with Stanley Kubrick. That's—that's that's anyone that loves movies. But Douglas right. Trumbull—he directed *Silent Running*, which was the the basis for *Mr. Science Theater*. Okay. Okay. It's about a man stranded in space who makes robots because he's lonely. Like, oh, okay. All of this shit coming together, and the weird thing is, he became friends because of his trip to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. He became friends with um, Gary Kurtz, who's the famous producer of the first two Star Wars movies. Okay. So he's got him in his corner. Then he's got the head of ILM right. was his best man at his wedding. And he was his best man at his wedding. Right. Jesus. So when they were making this movie, I just got to point this out. Yeah. They're really amazing Hollywood scene where he goes and he meets Steven Spielberg. We're going to get to all of this. Mm-hmm. And they walk through ILM as they're fucking making star Wars, the models, yes. most of that stuff in ILM that, that huge, that one long shot when they're going through there, None of yeah. that was even there, right? The guy his head the head of ILM did him a favor and said, "Don't worry, I'm going to put all the I'll do all this for you for your movie because mm-hmm. he's best friends with him." So mm-hmm. the Millennium Falcon, the the Death Star when they're walking over and he's telling yeah. them what all this stuff is. Yeah. None of that was there. It was just tennis balls. Ping pong really? balls. And he got the and the, his friend who is best friends with George Lucas. Yeah. all this stuff he got the real models which are mm-hmm. priceless for certain things and he superimposed yeah. them with super special effects yeah like when he first gets to ilm and uh they're doing the cloud scene from close encounters of the third kind the aliens are in the cloud in this tank mm-hmm. none of that was there ilm did that in post for this movie that's why it looks incredible that's cool you i had no idea shit like that and there's other little right. things in this movie too like you can tell what they did with literally dolls and shoestrings right and then there's some moments where i'm like whoa that looks way too good for this movie
0: yeah because they mentioned you know when they're taking them around they're showing them like the different x-wings and, and the millennium falcon stuff then they show him luke's lance beater and patrick himself pointed out that it's like a gi joe like one of the oversized says gi joes or something like that you yeah. know what i mean And it's just really cool. And I I really love the guy from ILM who was just taking him through and showing him all this. Then he shows like, Oh, this is just an X-Wing that we're just going to blow up, you know? Smash it. And he smashes it. And Patrick's like losing his shit because, you know, he just destroyed a priceless heirloom. And this is the ILM ILM guy who's already done it probably like 20 fucking times. I
1: I read the real story, the the really long actual story about what happened. And he said that all the ILM guys were high as shit. Like when I'm they were, sure. making, they were all, they all had, they all looked like hippies. They had super long hair. They were all smoking dope and drinking and getting fucked up while they're working because they're well, basically slaves. They're, yeah. they're working hundred plus hour on this movie that everyone thought was going to be a joke, right? Right? And mm-hmm. that guy, the the person taking them through ILM, um, he said that was exactly how he was in real life. He said he was he was a Jim Henson Muppet, a giant Jim Henson Muppet that was like on speed. Like, sped up uh-huh. really fast. He's like, if Jim Henson was a Muppet and he was really sped up. Yeah. And, oh, my God. It's just, I think if, you know, I've got so much to talk about here. Mm-hmm. I, I can't stop thinking about how awesome this movie is. And just every little thing that I was fascinated with, when you read into it, it's actually way cooler the what actually happened in real life. But since we're on the Hollywood part, we might as well talk about... um. So he he goes to meet Douglas Trumbull, who right. uh, he 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 eventually did, but he froze.
0: Yeah, he, he, he didn't know what to did, say. That's the whole fucking reason why he went to Hollywood and he like um I'm just gonna call him Austin Pendleton, you know the the magazine guy, the actor. I'm gonna call him by the actor's name. He got Douglas to walk in and meet him, and literally Douglas says, "Hi, how you doing?" or something like that, and uh, Patrick says nothing. And the Douglas is kind of okay, shrugs his shoulders and walks away. And then he just froze. The reason why he went there, he was, he completely failed. But you have this turnover of him meeting Spielberg. And, uh, And again, like I, I said it offline, whoever the fuck they got to play young Steven Spielberg. It's like Spielberg was cloned in the fucking 70s. And this, this thing was kept on ice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it looked just like him. He sounded like him. He had the ball cap and everything. And it was cool because this is a period piece, but guys like you know our age, we remember seeing Spielberg looking like that from old pictures, from watching Jaws and the behind-the-scenes stuff or Close Encounters and stuff like that. He hasn't always been the dude with the, the, the thick beard and the glasses. Yeah. He was the, the clean-shaven young kid with the baseball cap. And what else was really cool is it made me think of Spielberg and how Patrick is connected to him because Spielberg made all these home movies. He made a lot of home war movies. And that was one of the main things that we saw when it wasn't like Jaws 2. Of course, he's making a sequel to a Spielberg movie. But one of his other movies that he made with his friends was a war movie. And it was just cool seeing you know them like doing the, uh, I guess you would say, the bullet wounds, and some guy grabs him grabs himself and the blood trickles up. But then again, because it's a, you're, you're a kid. You don't know what you're doing. The blood shoots on the kitchen window while mom's doing the dishes and or he's trying to recreate. Um, I think it's a space station from 2001 yeah. where he, he, okay. He steals his, his, uh, his sister's bike tires and puts them together and spray paints it. All that D, DIY stuff was really, really cool. And that's what you, I've made a couple air quotes movies with my friends, zombie movies, stuff like that. We've had to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know what it's like. I mean, you know, we made a zombie movie. So literally we went, we got a can of like pork and beans and, and bacon and stuff. And those were the guts and stuff like that. So we know what it's like to do that. And that's another reason why I liked this because it it's not, I don't know if nostalgia is the right word, but it, it did take me back a little bit to my childhood not just because of the movies they chose, but because stuff that I could associate with with him. And that made this movie so much more enjoyable. And then the conversations, him and his friend, it kind of reminded me of me and you a little bit, you know, the whole, what's the explanation about the monolith and the monkeys and the baby in 2001, I would be the friend who doesn't give a shit and wants an easy explanation it made me think that you would be the one trying to explain everything and you give this long diatribe about what it means from the beginning and then i would just look at you and be like no it's a fucking baby in space i don't get it it just it reminded me a lot of myself in this in those aspects and that helped it be more enjoyable i think you know what I mean?
1: anyone that likes this movie will have the same sentiment that's why it's so great and because
0: we've all had those type of conversations about something in our life with our one of our best friends
1: yes it's it is it is pure nostalgia but at the same time it's super honest and mm-hmm. in a way that it captured this you haven't you you haven't seen the Fableman yet not yet no okay you need to get on that <laughs> that okay. these are they're basically the same movie except for Spielberg and every great filmmaker makes eight millimeter movies with their friends and stuff that's just what everyone mm-hmm. does. But the difference is um, Spielberg was always going to be a director. Mm -hmm. Like, and um, I forget his goddamn name, Uh, Patrick Reed Johnson. Yes. Um, He's a special, he's a model maker, right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't really interested in directing movies. He was more interested in the special effects till he started making them. Mm -hmm. And then he got more interested in the writing thing, uh, writing, directing stuff. But their, their backgrounds are completely different. So, and they're... Their careers have been completely different. You know right. what I mean? Uh, Patrick's been one, subjugated one, one, to. Yeah, I was gonna
0: say one successful and then one's Patrick.
1: Yes, and you know, at the end of the day, they're both successful. It's just not fair that Steven Spielberg right. is the most successful. Um, yeah. But it's just so incredible that these movies came out basically at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to talk about. There's so much I want to say. Um, but while we're we got Steven Spielberg on the brain. You might as well point out that the he met Steven Spielberg, went home, and he was afraid. He didn't want to go back. He didn't want to call up George Lucas or Steven Spielberg or someone like that without having something accomplished something. Mm-hmm. So when he finally moved to Hollywood and got to make Space Invaders, mm-hmm. the only reason it, it, this is so fascinating. The only reason the movie got seen by dist, got distribution. Was basically because of Steven Spielberg. Um, he saw a copy of it, not even knowing that he had met this kid, and oh, he, really? he loved it so much the the ingenuity and the the fact that they made this for almost no money that mm. he immediately set up a meeting and said, "Okay, we're getting. I'm going to take care of this. We're going to get this movie in theaters." But what's really fucking crazy is this is the this is the first big thing I want to drop on you. Okay, this is where. Patrick E. Johnson kind of fucked up. Um, all right. He might, if he ever sees this, I'm sorry, but it's true. You you fucked up hard. Uh, um, and also, he's the dad in the movie. If you didn't know that. Yes.
0: I, I I saw him in the credits, and I had to go back to see. And then I'm like, yes, he he's the the
1: alcoholic father. They shot. He shot all of his scenes. He purposefully put that off until just recently. He shot those scenes, um, mm-hmm. like you know, around 2017 or whatever, so that he'd be older. Which is interesting because when he made the movie for real, he was—that was twenty years ago or whatever. Right. Um. But here's what happened: made Space Invaders, right? Long story short, you can read all about this all yourself. He, (laughs) they went to Disney with Space Invaders. This is before Spielberg got involved, and Disney said, "We love this. This is amazing, but Uh we want to make this an earnest versus the Space Invaders movie." I,
0: thought, I think we might have talked about that or brushed up on it in our episode. No, I don't remember. That
1: was my idea. That's the thing that I said it would have made it better. Okay, that's that's what it was, yeah.
0: You don't remember? No, I no, was In one, Space
1: Invaders, yeah, I, I said it, there's a huge missed opportunity in that Um, the movie relies – there's no central character. You're supposed right. to be focused on the stupid Martians, which is it, – it needed an earnest – and exactly that's what it was I've i remember now the a, conversation this is going to be on the screen so if you watch the playback
0: okay
1: here's the quote from an interview i found i read all the interviews with the director uh, we went to disney at one point and they said you know what we want to do it but we want to do it as Ernest meets the martians i said i'm not going to trivialize a movie called martians by adding Ernest to it and he was laughing about it yeah. and here's the thing okay and it yeah. gets it gets even weirder than this. I think okay. he he talks about this over and over in interviews and videos how proud he was of Martians. It was called Martians with three exclamation points like Martians was going to be the name. Yeah, like Mars Attacks. Like Mars yeah. Attacks. And this is so weird. Disney they wanted they 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 said we have to change the name to mm-hmm. Space Invaders because there's another movie coming out, the one I was talking about with Randy Quaid called Martians <laughs> Go Home. and they said they didn't want to have a legal battle with them so we're going to change it and he said he almost killed himself because of disney's decision to change the name but here's here's a bigger point right this is where i think he fucked up he's so proud of this movie right martians space invaders, shouldn't be okay okay i i think it's great everyone thinks it's great but it would actually have been 10 times better if Ernest was in this and not, not only would it have been better film, he it would, would have, successful. he would have, it would have been way more success. It was already, you know, it still made money. Yeah. It made a good bit of money, but this would have been like huge mm-hmm. and it would have solidified his relationship with Disney and touchstone and mm-hmm. all these people. So he told them he passed on Disney and said, no, I don't want to do it because I don't want to do anything with Ernest because uh-huh. he thought he was above that. So then Spielberg sees it and says, he didn't know about the meeting with Disney. And he said, mm-hmm. okay, I'll take care of this. I'll, I'll find a distributor, dis, di, you know, a distribution company. Yeah. He immediately calls Disney, who he didn't know they already had this meeting. And he tells them, no, you're picking this movie up. Uh-huh. Right? He like basically makes them take it. Yeah. And then they take it, but now it's like, you already shit on us yeah the first time so now we're gonna fuck with your movie and that's what they did like when disney got it officially with spielberg Uh they're like they chopped it up they did all kinds of stuff to to his movie to make it he he said every time they went back and made him edit something the test screens went down and down and down so the movie that that we saw was supposedly like (laughs) five times worse wow than the one spielberg saw and the one that ilm and all these people that he was friends with said was Uh super fantastic so
0: i'm gonna tell you what now i'm interested i mentioned it either in that episode or the following one i found it cheap the blu-ray on kino lorber for like five bucks ten bucks or whatever yeah i wasn't planning on listening to it but now i have to because i think there is a commentary with him and uh ariana richardson
1: Oh. now i want to know
0: what the fuck he has to say
1: oh yeah I'm i'm gonna pick that up too yeah I didn't know there was a there's a director's commentary on the Blu-ray.
0: I believe so, yes, yeah.
1: Can't wait. So,
0: and he, the thing is, he did like we, we talked on offline. Like I said, nobody knows who this guy is, but we've all seen his work because he also did Dragonheart, which I love. Well, he wrote it. We mentioned that, which I fucking love. I know you said yeah, you, you wanted to say something about that. And then it was dumber and shit, but it was fun at the time. He did Baby's Day Out, which was a hit. You know what I mean so he has done stuff that our generation knows about and it's it's i'm happy and sad for the guy because he's he he got to see star wars he met steven spielberg he had spielberg help him and it's like no one really knows who he is still
1: no it's i i don't want to go off too far you you have to look up baby's day out and Mm -hmm. angus Look oh, that Angus. Up. That's right. Look those up yourself. How he got he, every movie that he made after this, he got fucked. Um, mm-hmm. You have to look that up yourself. But the one that is kind of interesting is Dragonheart. He okay. didn't just write it; it was his idea. He wrote it. He helped design the dragon. Every single thing about Dragonheart from the beginning. Um, Sean Connery doing the voice. All of these mm-hmm. things. He just didn't want to do Jurassic Park CGI. He had. He was friends with the Hensons, with Brian Henson. Mm-hmm. He had them design an actual dragon. He said it looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it wasn't supposed to be super realistic and it was supposed to be a little darker, the film. Okay. He wanted um, Liam Neeson. The studio, which, no, that's ten, Dennis Quaid's horrible. <laughs> like, no, I mean, he's horrible like... for the part. It's ridiculous. Okay. Like, okay. you know, the, there is
0: a there yes there is a big difference between Dennis Quaid and Liam Neeson yes I yes, know that especially
1: in the setting it doesn't make any sense it's like oh. Kevin Costner playing uh, a British Robin Hood it's laughable well um, at least
0: Dennis Quaid tried the accent Kevin well, Costner said fuck it so
1: well, oh you no know, he does the first two minutes of the movie has an accent okay and then he stopped. <laughs> but the Dragonheart thing's super sad because that was his baby and then the studio took it away from him they they were gonna they didn't. All kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. Rob Cohen lied, took credit for all the stuff he had nothing to do with. They were gonna Easy. make the dragon will be Goldberg what? for real. They oh, were they were trying insane. to make it this stupid, like um, they were trying to make it as dumb as possible. And at the last minute after Richard Donner was gonna do all these people were involved after they fired him. Uh-huh. No one could save it, so at the last minute they they reneged on everything they said. Yeah. And uh it's really sad because that, like, that's, that's basically, because of that, he ended up quitting Hollywood. Mm-hmm. He moved back to Illinois, yep. and that's how we get to this movie. But it, I can't talk, we don't have enough time to talk about how fascinating. I'm just, he did get fucked
0: hard yeah. with the Dragonheart okay. thing. I'll, go, I'll look into that. One last thing I want to get to before we wrap it up real quick is there are those scenes where he, you know, it happens in every coming of age story. You know, the, the roller coaster ride gets going gets going gets going and finally you hit rock bottom. And again in my opinion I don't think it was overly dramatized because I liked John Francis Daly as Patrick. I really fell for the guy or felt bad for the guy when he breaks up with his girlfriend, because he finds out she cheated on him when he was in Hollywood. You know, he wasn't her first time when he thought he was going to be after they did sleep together. You know, his falling out with his buddy, all this and that. He doesn't get to see star Wars when it comes out. Yeah. And if it ended like that, I, I would have been pissed. Yes. Of course he does eventually see it, but nothing goes right for this guy. And then even the lunch lady is fucking with him. You know what I mean? When she gives him that, that meatloaf shaped like, I don't remember what it was, Mutt shaped loaf. like a dog. Mutt. A muttloaf. It was shaped like a dog because he was calling it muttloaf for some bullshit. The acting is so good. The characters draw you in. And there's a lot of dramatic stuff. Like there's one time he's, he thinks he's going to go score with his girlfriend. He accidentally leaves his brother hanging up from the ceiling because they were filming a space movie. And the kid got sick.
1: Really I don't happened. know how. No, he fell asleep.
0: And, oh, is that what it was? He fell Yeah, asleep he left him there him? for four hours. Okay. I mean, because you think something happens because the cops are there and all this, and then, you know, you feel for this kid when he fucks up. You know what I mean? And that's what's good with these coming-of-age stories. It's not all, you know, rainbows and, you know, happy dreams. You have these moments of fuck-ups, life goes down the tubes, and then... You don't you you you're still rooting for the guy. Yeah. And that w- that's what really enthralled me with this is the likable characters overall.
1: They're not to me, they're not even characters. They're all real people. These are oh, all you know what I mean. You like, know what I mean. It's all real. Like um and there's there's a bunch of profound did you say anything about profound moments? I just wanted I to make sure that. I'm covering that. No. Um no, go ahead. No, they're Aside from the way that this movie's made, which is absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. Shoestring mm-hmm. budget. Like, it's one of these things where most movies, they make them fast. You have to make compromises to get it out. You mm-hmm. have a deadline. Uh, your Your investors want to see... They want to make money, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to make compromises. It's always like the guy who was going to be Terminator originally, it's five different people, right? You know what I mean? It's always... The end product, everyone think it's always you think it's a happy accident, and it is. Right. With this movie, it's the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. He had twenty years to work on it, and that really shows. Because he he's even said this before in an interview. If he had if he had turned in the movie somehow finished it back then in two thousand six, it wouldn't have been nearly as good as this. Because they fine tuned and added things and just quickly. Two of my favorite scenes ever or in this movie, and there's like maybe three, I don't know. There's like profound moments that cut right through the nostalgia and the hokey bullshit where it's like super serious. The scene where his friend psychoanalyzes him and explains why he started making movies because of his family divorcing. Right? And his Mm -hmm. cry for attention. The other big Mm -hmm. one was when he's in the movie theater explaining the magic of movie theaters. Like, Mm -hmm. it seems cheesy, but the way that it's written... And mm-hmm. acted and cut and everything is perfection. Like mm-hmm. he should get a standing ovation just for that. There's so many moments like that in this movie. Yeah. And uh just one of the sweetest things, it really has nothing to do with the movie per se, but the 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 theme song to this movie, mm-hmm. like the road that goes nowhere, you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? That song, he wrote that. Really? Yeah, like that's his song. And the song's about like being stranded in some dumpy town and you know, we, you got we got to get out of here, you know? And it's like, it just struck this chord with me Mm -hmm. from a distance. If you're not paying attention, if you're, if you don't give a shit about how movies are made, right. You're not interested in sci-fi. You weren't a nerd, all of those things. I still think on some level you should be affected by um, some of the things in this movie. But if I'm all of those things, and I know a lot of people that, especially that like us and stuff, Mm -hmm. I almost cried it's kind of like devastating
0: well I I 100% agree with that you don't have to be into the behind the scenes stuff of what goes into making a film to enjoy this movie Yeah, that might help bring people in but there's a lot more to it than that like I said this isn't a Star Wars movie this isn't a movie making movie you know what I mean it's like, you know, The Wrestler is not a wrestling movie. Rocky is not a boxing movie. This is not that type of movie. Yes. It just has that stuff sprinkled in. There's so much more to
1: this movie. Movies are some people's lives, for better mm-hmm. or for worse. And the, they're benchmarks in our lives, mm-hmm. right? They're They're literally monoliths, like in 2001, which are mm-hmm. checkpoints for evolution. When we've okay. evolved far enough to know what a tool is to hunt with, that's the first step. No, I'm just saying if you've no, ever. No, no, no.
0: Oh, I wasn't laughing at that when you said the monolith, cause there's some good comedy in this. I, I was just thinking of the part where he, they're in the desert and his friends are dressed up like the monkeys and he's going to go mess with the monolith. Yes. in his sequel. That's why I was laughing.
1: Movies are like monoliths. They're, they're, they're checkpoints in our own evolution of our tastes mm-hmm. of developing our, uh, our own characters. The first one for him is 2001. Like every that's, everyone knows the first movie they saw in a theater that really affected them. Okay. Star Wars was his next, it was him becoming a man for real. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. a huge moment in your life. And it's not about Star Wars, but it's about how these movies change people's lives for real. Mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. matter. Like we can get into the ins and outs of the negative downsides of that. Yeah. Some people take it too far or whatever, but right. The way that it's represented in this movie is so perfectly balanced with mm-hmm. life and everything else that's going on. It's just a phenomenal film for real. Yeah, like yeah. I can't believe how good this was. Mm-hmm. And it's not for everyone. Just no. I, I've already told a couple people like it's not for everyone. This is a niche kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're even a remotely a film buff, right? Um, I think you'll really enjoy it. I even like the the Star Trek digs are funny too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like I said, there, there's some good comedy to it, too. Like, I, I really dug the beginning stuff with them trying to make Jaws too and he's got to clean the pool, and he he's cleaning the, the, the pool, and then, like, accidentally, like, one of the the organs goes down the pool filter, and yep. it, 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 it fries everything. It's good comedy. And what I liked is, I'll, I'll end it with this, that was kind of a fake-out to me, because going into this, I thought it was just going to be a goofy movie. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. And that was a pleasant surprise. I just thought the way the movie started, like it starts off, he's a little boy, he's watching 2001, A Space Odyssey in the theaters, and he's the only one still awake. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I thought it was going to be that type of goofy stuff. And it's so much more. We haven't even gotten into the relationship really with his girlfriend. I loved how they met. He thought she was reading 2001. Yeah. And he literally gets her, he looks at her with an alien mask on and breaks the ice that way. And so much fun. So such a good film i'm glad you chose this one because honestly i'd already forgotten about it i'm not gonna lie you know but i'm so glad i watched this and i'm not gonna lie i put this in my amazon uh wish list because eventually i will own the physical copy
1: yeah me too 100% i'm gonna and you know maybe get it autographed i'd like to meet this guy
0: i would too I would too, and I did like since it is his. I, one final thing before we get to the fun factor is during the credits. I like how he put the real pictures of the people and everything in it that that oh, made yeah. it
1: film. No, that that I, was just so sweet. I literally teared up when it got when it cut to not just. I was already crying because the song is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like and it's very weird. It's almost like Christian rock, mm-hmm. but it. I, it doesn't matter if something's good, it transcends that. I don't care, I'll argue with anyone. I don't, if there's a good Christian rock song out there, I mean, I'm sure there is, right? You know, let me know. This mm-hmm. one's a really it's crazy good for this guy who I didn't even know he had any musical, but then it cuts to all the people that that died,
0: yeah, no longer with us.
1: Um, and I was just like, God damn, and his mom's the last one,
0: yeah. and I think I, and it even says, and of course, mom, or something yeah, like most that, most of all. And most of all, Mom.
1: Yeah. You want to, here's another weird thing to close out on. You know where sure. he lives now? No. Winston Salem, North Carolina, two hours from here. Oh, he, I think you he teaches have a road trip. he teaches at the uh, the art school. Come on, he's two hours from here. I oh, yeah,
0: I think you have a road trip what's yeah,
1: It's less than two hours. That's awesome. So uh, we got anything oh. else to say before we get to the fun factor though? Did, did we cover everything?
0: Don't. I think I've c- covered everything that needs to be covered with this one.
1: Yeah, I I, I pro I could talk about it all day. Like I right. it's endlessly fascinating and I hope that he writes a book for real. Because mm-hmm. the movie's not enough, the commentary's not enough. I read all the interviews. It's he needs to write a book about all of this stuff because it's it's never ending, how fascinating mm-hmm. it is. His relationship with John Hughes, it's it that's an incredible story. Look it up okay. if you're interested. Um but you want to get to the Fun Factor score?
0: All right. With this, uh, 525.77, official Two Bearded Losers, Fun Factor score of 87, One-Eyed Willie's Water Slide. So much good in this film. And like I said, it's not a Star Wars movie. It's not a filmmaking movie. It's not a geek movie. It's just a movie that has that stuff in it. It's There's so much more to it. And uh, I highly, highly recommend it.
1: Perfect companion piece film to The Fablemans. I mean, if you haven't... I'm assuming most people haven't seen either one of those. Right. uh, Watch both of them at the same time. It would be a great double feature. You saw The
0: Fablemans? Yeah. Get the fuck (laughs) out of here. I hate when people
1: ask me shit like that.
0: Well, on that note... (laughs) I'm Eric didn't That's wait friendly. wait didn't
1: i wait, wait wait sorry let me turn what? off the slide the slide's still going wait okay. didn't didn't i recommend it in one of the yeah. last episodes i told people to go see it i don't remember at the that. end i was you said anything else and i was like yeah everyone go see the failments while it's still in the theater
0: i don't remember the last time we the last episode we did do, we do you remember anything
1: i say uh with your fucking I'm swiss Eric... cheese brain
0: i eric that's frenzy uh thank you for watching listening like subscribe all that stupid bullshit and uh we'll see you in the next one now About mm-hmm. Dragonheart, Space Invaders, and then you're going to mention Baby's Day Out, but we didn't have time.